Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio with me, Felicity Duncan, and with Alec Hogg. This week we have something a little different for you. We captured an uh, off-the-record conversation between Alec Hogg and myself on the topic of the J.T. Olcock uh, article that appeared on Biz News this week, which dealt with the subject of informal employment in South Africa and the informal economy. The piece generated a lot of controversy on the site and a lot of uh, uh, feedback, both positive and negative. And as you'll hear, it also generated quite a uh, heated discussion between myself and Alec. So take a listen to this unscripted and uh, off-the-cuff discussion of the topic. He's a fascinating person. And he has got unique insights, and it actually all makes sense what he says. And we're not we're not monitoring a side of the economy that that is, of course, there's a huge informal economy, and everywhere you go in South Africa, you see it. But we're still thinking in the old-fashioned way. I think Gigi's uh, that that was that was quite groundbreaking, actually, the, the the work that he's doing. So I think. I- thought though that he I think uh, when I first read it I had some thoughts on that where I mean first of all I think he uh, he doesn't really he uses anecdote for evidence which is fine Mm. but we don't really know (laughs) you know Mm. Um, uh, so it's just sort of a bit uh, yeah there's problems with you there's a reason we don't generally anecdote for evidence because you just don't know and then but I thought the bigger um, objection and I think that the um, the guy from the DA made this point Toby yeah 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 Um, which I thought was the first thought that I had when I read the the Alcock thing was that um, the problem is that there's no way to deploy capital so you can't there's no way to scale up like you know you talked about that lady who sells Fedcook You know, like she can never access finance. Like if she's doing so well, that's amazing. And she should set up a business like a prop. You know, she could scale that up. Why not sell? She sells 5,000. I think he said, why not sell 50,000? Oh, well, but she can't ever do that because she can never access capital because of the nature of how the business is set up, you know? So it's hard to see. I think. He's right. I mean, I think he's definitely right. Like people are getting by and making a living in this way, but without the linkages to the formal economy, it's always going to be so marginal for people. You know, there's no, it's never going to be transformative. Do you know what I mean? I, 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 I do and I don't. Um, what is, what, to me, there's a, there's a bigger question here, and that's more a reversion to normality where uh, people work for themselves rather than this industrial age psychology that, You've got to get bigger and bigger and bigger uh, and employ more and more people. Um, I don't think people want to be employed. Of course, people want to be employed. They want to be, they want to be nurtured and looked after and fed and everything else, but only because that's the way they've been taught it is normal. A much better way of doing things is where people work for themselves, but don't necessarily become gazillionaires, but make a living. And, and that's really, it's almost like, we're reverting to the normality which occurred before capital was king. Capital's no longer king. There's too much capital at the moment. And we're now reverting back to the old days where, you know, in America in, in 1790, 99% of people were self-employed. And that's the, the, the same, the gig economy, um, informal sector. I don't know. I, I've got a very, very different view on these things. And that's why I'm quite, 
excited about uh, what Gigi is discovering there because you don't necessarily the old model of I'm a start a business and employ a hundred thousand people. I don't think that works anymore. I, I, the employees are not employees are never um, there's there's that that friction between employer and employees uh, where the employer thinks he's overpaying and the employee thinks they're being underpaid and that friction always leads to acrimony in some or resentment in some area. Whereas if I have now got a freedom of choice to work for somebody and if, if they can only pay me X, they're happy with what they're paying me. I've, I'm happy to work for those few hours or whatever it is for that amount. If I don't like uh, what I'm being paid, well, I'll go and do something else or nothing. So, you know, that's my, my kind of take on the whole thing. It's, it's a bit different. But don't you think, though, that there are, I think that that can work in some ways, but there's two issues with that. The first is that things have to be funded, and I'm talking basic infrastructure, right? So roads, uh, electricity, all of that has to be funded somehow, and there's really the only way to fund that is through the state, um, mm. You know, you can't uh, people like working uh, alone and for themselves are not going to build a bridge. <laughs> right. They have mm. to work collaboratively mm. together. And there's a big upfront cost of capital um, mm. to do that. So government does need to collect revenue in order for this to work. And I agree. I think that there, there needs to be more of an entrepreneurial attitude among South Africans. I think that that's definitely true. But. They have to be able to do it against the backdrop of some kind of infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, something like, just even like hospitals, right? Hospitals are not really something that can be run by a bunch of uh, independent people working for themselves just because you have to have a set of rules and you have to have mm. uh, quality no, control. Yeah. Um, and then I, the don't, second I don't disagree with you at all on that, but, uh, but maybe the, the focus is how do you get these people in the informal sector to pay some contribution to that and yeah that's absolutely the, you know mm, yeah i think mm. that's it there can't be the solution can't be an expansion of the informal sector because you know i think that you're gonna have the lady selling fat cook, fat cook rather um is definitely doing something important for herself and for her family but ultimately she's using the infrastructure of south africa the roads and all of the rest of it um without necessarily paying a full share towards its maintenance and upkeep, you know, and we know that the, one of the big problems is South Africa just has far too few taxpayers to shoulder the burden uh, of its, mm, of its costs. But hang on. She, when she buys petrol, she pays tax. When she buys her cigarettes, she pays tax. When she buys, when she buys anything, she pays that. But if, um, so, if mm. that is going to be enough, if we're going to say, okay, which we can do, we can say no more income mm. taxes, no more business taxes, everything's going to be VAT because it's harder to get away from VAT, mm. right? Mm. We could certainly do that. But VAT would need to probably be 50% <laughs> to do no. that. That's <laughs> uh, already more than, it's already more than income tax. VAT generates more than income tax. Yes, totally. But I'm saying if you want to make it entirely VAT, VAT's going to have to go up. And you're then going to have to police, because I seriously doubt that she is charging VAT on her fat cook and remitting it to the fiscus. So VAT, again, also Mm. is only a a solution if you're doing it in the context of a formal economy. But when she buys her products for the fat cook, she's paying VAT. 
Yeah, but we know for sure that the South African government is not bringing in enough money to meet its outgoings, right? Mm. Like mm. The, that's why we're borrowing. That's why GDP, a debt to GDP, is edging up to sixty percent or so. Um, yeah. So obviously, well, budget deficits. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, budget deficits. Budget yeah, deficits are contributing we... to the the GDP. I think it's it's complex and it's a it's a complex thing. But I think overall, philosophically. Uh, my my sense is that the formal sector is more and more evidence is showing us that the that the old way of work, the old formal employment way, is just not working anymore. Um, you look at the, the the growth of shared office spaces, etc. So it's a it's it's you know it's always it's always it's, it's never absolute, um, but it's it's I think it's moving in that way um, and. Uh, I don't think that in a country where you have such high unemployment in the formal sector and a formal sector that in many ways is very poorly managed. I mean, the, a lot of the uh, you'd be horrified. I mean, if you if you if you go and spend a day listening to the way managers manage in uh, many of the formal companies here, it would you'd be horrified. Because there's still a whole lot of history and background, and then they they blame the workers. And whereas a a strike, the problem, for, the usual reason for a strike is is conditions aren't great. I mean, this guy that I saw in Durban, um, who employs 900 people, he doesn't have a trade union there. They chase the trade unions away because he pays more than the than the um, than the normal wage, and he engages with people directly. Uh, and the, you know, everybody's happy. They like pull in the same direction. But it's when you start formalizing these things and bringing in human resources and, 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 and. But I suppose it's, you know, it's, it's just a different philosophy that I have on, on business. I guess I just think that it can work in some industries and in some ways. But for, you know, say like, um, you mentioned shared office space, which is, I think, a, an interesting aspect of, of what's happening. But, you know, the, the, the fundamental problem there is that someone has to build the office <laughs> right which is a, a multi-million uh, rand enterprise um that requires a lot of coordinated labor um so you know i think that there's growth in this space of self-employment and in the space of independence and contractors and things like that um but i also think that there's a lot of stuff that gets made in the economy like cars for example that you can't really do in a, a small scale way, because it requires a lot of uh, aggregation of capital and skills. No, I'm not saying you do it in a small scale way. I'm just saying that the way that you remunerate those uh, who participate in it is different. You don't own them. You don't salary slave them. You give them the option of becoming associates, of working during the times that suits them, like we do. It's exactly like we do at Business and there are many, many, many. The gig economy, I think, can get much bigger. So it's, it's well, anyway, you know, it, it's, it's, it. You just much more. Eighty-five percent of of employees are disengaged. Eighty-five percent. Something's wrong with the system. But it's interesting that you said because I, you know, you're sort of talking about um, expansion of gig work and and all the rest of it. But um, it's hard to. Picture people building lives and families around gig work. I know a lot of people who do when they're students and things like that. You know, maybe they'll like to deliver for 
Uber Eats or whatever the case may be. But um, you don't really make enough money to live doing that. It's more like a sort of supplemental income thing. You know, I think it's, it's a difficult problem because the economy historically, if we live this, take, for example, America, America historically has done the best when its middle class was growing fast. So when the wages of the majority of people were growing quickly so that they could afford to purchase more goods and services. Um, and periods where inequality was rising, they tended, the growth tended to slow. We've seen that happening in the last 10 years or so. Um, and so you sort of have to think about ways to strike this balance between uh, flexibility and people, as you say, being engaged and, and doing work that they care about and all the rest of it, but also making sure that people have enough to live and that they are able to do their bit, I guess you could call it, um, as consumers and, and look after their kids and the rest of it. I'm definitely on a, on a different page on these things. I, I really don't believe. I do not believe that the current structure is where capital um, tells labor what to do, uh, tells, tells talent what to do is right. And just because you're born with capital means that you are the master of the universe. It's insane. No, I agree with uh, that. I, I just uh-huh. think, I think that um, the... But that's the way it works at the moment. That's system, the way it works, you know. We're, say it's we're talking about with the gig workers, for example that we're talking about in the kind of contemporary situations of people who work at, for Uber or, or whatever the case may be, um, they are even less, they have even less power relative to capital. No way, not at all. I, if I think about gig work, I'm talking about highly skilled people who, who, sell, who sell their consultancy, you know, who sell their, their services for a market-related fee rather than, uh, working for McKinsey, who would take a margin of fifty percent or a hundred or two hundred percent on what they outs what they they sell the the consultants at, and then to 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 pay for this huge infrastructure and partners who've been there for many years who are then reaping the profits. I I just think the whole system is just it's crazy when you you look at that as an example of it. It's a you, a corporate will go in and hire a McKinsey or a Deloitte or or one of the uh, big consultants, you know, what Warren Buffett calls the super helpers. And the super helpers would then uh, charge out uh, relatively junior staff at very much higher than they pay those relatively junior staff and say, but that's the way the system works. And then they wonder why the relatively junior staff who are doing all the work make mistakes and and are disengaged. So there's, there's, I would, I would much rather, uh, feel that it would be, or I would feel that, that the, a much fairer option is the way that it used to be, where you didn't need to have, um, and, and, and technology makes it possible. Technology brings in something like Fiverr, where I can go anywhere in the world now and get somebody who really needs five dollars to do a particular task. Uh, that they can do it and they can send it to me rather than having to hire somebody who might be bored for 90% of the time because there are certain tasks that are required to be done that, that don't really make them terribly excited. So I just think that the, the Internet and technology and the, the, the networking effect has changed so much uh, the, the world of work and the world of work hasn't yet adapted towards it. So I mean, take take a – Take a, a media company. 
a big media company, most big media companies still insist that their staff come into work every day in a building. Why? Makes no sense, as we know at, at Biz News. We can talk, we talk on Skype, we have our meeting we, and our editorial meeting or on a go to meeting or whatever. We communicate through Slack all the time. We don't have to go and brave an hour and a half in the traffic or two hours in the traffic every day to go to some place to do what? To, to be there so someone can control you and tell, make sure that you've actually pitched up for work at a particular time. So I really do have a, 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 a different view on, on the, on a lot of these things and on a lot of the, uh, to me, people will do much better and they'll be much more fairly treated if they have the freedom to be able to choose what work to do rather than being forced to do particular work and then, of course, having that friction between employer and employee. But, uh, you know, that's that's just uh, – I, I do think differently on a lot of things. And, and I think, I, think I mean, I, I think that um, it's two different things. I think you're right when you're talking about the highly skilled, you know, doctors, lawyers, um, they've always – uh, not always, that's not an exaggerate. Obviously, there are law firms and hospitals and so on, but a lot of them um, work for themselves and that works very effectively because they control, they have a lot of human capital, we'll call it, you know, talent. Um, and so they, they definitely have the power to set their own terms, you know, and I think that that, that it's true in a lot of um, industries and for a lot of things that can work better to have um, people who, the people who are ultimately creating the service um work independently to create that service you're that's certainly like you one lawyer can do the job right <laughs> you don't need a, a whole firm of lawyers and a bus lawyer at the top and all the rest of it um but i do think you know that when you get further down the chain it becomes a bit more complicated um you know the 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 people who don't necessarily have access to a lot of skills who maybe haven't gone to university or whatever else the case may be. It's harder, I think, for them to negotiate a fair deal in a lot of ways. But remember, just because they haven't gone to university doesn't mean that they aren't able to upskill in particular areas. I think there's a fallacy, there's, there's this fallacy that because people are poor, they're dumb. They're not dumb. No, no, no. That's they are, they, they often, I know that you're not saying that, but there is a fallacy generally that, that the rich people must tell the poor people what to do. And that's crazy. With technology, and if you have a look at a place like Trani, and it's a very, very good instance, this thing that Alan Not Craig uh, got going there where it's free Wi-Fi, they are, the, the areas around the free Wi-Fi are packed with New entrepreneurs, exactly what Gigi Alcock was saying, was that people, when they're given an opportunity and they get in there and they start looking at, at what is possible, they can upskill, they can, they can watch YouTube videos, they can learn to become, uh, designers of, of, um, uh, banners and advertising banners, for instance, whereas at the moment, uh, corporations would go through uh, agencies and get charged an absolute fortune for it. Now you're opening up that opportunity to anybody, some creative guy who might not even have had the opportunity to, to, uh, to go through school, let alone through university. So it, it breaks down so many of those old barriers to entry. And that's what, what, what excites me is that you don't, doesn't mean that you have to become uh, locked into some kind of a downward spiral. In fact, 
because of technology, the opportunity is that you can you can sell to the whole world. And if you want to earn more money, there are ways that you can upskill yourself for free. Uh, and many of the international universities will give you or put uh, – we don't have to forget universities. You can just go onto YouTube and learn how to do pretty much anything that you wouldn't have been able to or couldn't do in the past. So there are those – uh, the, you know, the gig economy doesn't necessarily mean uh, I have to sit in an Uber and drive an Uber from midnight to three, you know, to six a.m. in the morning to to make a living. Uh, to me, the gig economy means that I have a whole world into which I can sell my services, and my services depend on how I de- de- uh, desire upskilling myself, and I have the freedom to decide. If I want to invest uh, in upskilling myself, then I should be able to charge more and I will be able to charge more uh, for the services that I'm offering. So I, I and, and the, the whole industrial age structures are so archaic and so out of date. I mean, you spoke about lawyers here in Johannesburg. You go to Santon and you drive around Santon and you will see that the biggest buildings, the most expensive construction is all service companies. You'll have uh, uh, EY, Worksman's. I'm just looking at them. Discovery. Uh, okay, Sassel is a, is a big building. They're not a service industry. But um, uh, ENS, um, legal firms, accounting firms. And if you think about it logically and rationally, those who are employing those accounting and legal firms could – through the use of technology, get the same result by employing people who don't necessarily have to be working under under that umbrella, which brings all kinds of costs along with it. Felicity, you, you must do yourself a favor and just have a look at annual reports and what is being charged by these service firms. And then what Buffett was saying as well about the the, uh, the you know the massive uh, cost of the helpers and the super helpers to this to society. And it's it's that kind of thing. I mean, it's not all or nothing. It's not a, um, a that they must be imploded and everybody must go go into a, a gig economy. But the opportunity that exists now is something that that and we're seeing it in many parts of the world where people are moving more and more. The younger people don't want to go and work for one company for life. I remember sitting in WeWork in London. Uh, and I'd sit amongst these youngsters and they'd always be talking about to someone about a new job, you know, whether it's some, some headhunter that's phoning them or they're phoning some employment agency or they're polishing up their CV, even though they're working within this environment, there's lots of upward mobility uh, uh, within the, the, because it's a much freer market for labor, I suppose. So it's, uh, I, I, I don't know if we look back in 20 years and we're going to say, oh, you mean you used to work for a boss who said, do this, do that, do the next thing, get in the traffic and drive for an hour to come into an office where you expected to sit for eight hours and then, uh, you know, get bored stiff during that time and then go back into the into the the traffic because that's the time your boss wants you there. Uh, I think people are going to shake their heads and say that that just wasn't – that was an insane system and a very wasteful one. I can tell you feel very strongly that I, you just, but I, you know, we started off talking about, um, you know, uh, the informal 
jobs like the, the, mm. the, the, uh, Alcock thing that he was talking, you know, and, mm. um, and the need to formalize them if we're going to be able to finance, um, infrastructure and development in South Africa, you know, um, and for them, you know, like if that lady wants to sell more fat cook and she needs a bit of money, be nice for her to be able to do that, you know, and have access to that. Um, but the, the sort of principle of service work changing, I think I completely agree on. You know, I think that there's not really any need to have them organized the way that have it organized the way that it is. And I think people are reacting against that. It's such it, the world is in such a state of flux right now in so many areas and very much so in work as well. You, we, we can't expect that with technology having transformed so much of the, of the way we work, the way we live, the way we think, that there wouldn't be a massive impact on a system that's been with us for 200, almost 200 years, uh, these, these structures. It, 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 just, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, at the moment, if you're a guy who works in a factory and you get replaced by a robot, you know, what happens? The robot is more efficient than you. They work 24 hours. They don't want more salary. In fact, they depreciate in value. Um, it's a little bit, little bit difficult. But my, my sense is that the person who's working in that factory should see it as an opportunity, should see the fourth industrial revolution as a, as a way to upskill themselves and use it to their best advantage. Why shouldn't they buy themselves a little 3, uh, 3D printer? And be, be, be in that little 3D printer, be producing widgets and that they are prepared to get in their car uh, now and get it to the factory that needs to get to in five minutes if there's a breakdown, for instance, and charge a premium. It's, it, there's just so many opportunities, but the problem is while we're stuck in this old way of thinking of the old way of work, um, and, and that's why I extrapolate that through to what Gigi has to say was with the new world of work, it, a lot of it's informal. A lot of it um, is serving other people. Is, and that's exactly what the informal sector is doing. Everything he was talking about was serving within society. So I've got an extra 10 bucks. I'll go and have a haircut. Um, and there's a person who's going to earn that 10 bucks for, for having a haircut. I, I went to um, for the licensing department in Randburg. You go into the licensing department and you don't know everything you need and they want photocopies. So you come, I come out there. There's a little informal kind of sector. There's a gate where there's a guard so they don't let the guys come into the licensing department to hawk. But there are people standing there and if you want a photocopy, you get it done for five rand, literally. So you give the guy five rand. He goes around the corner, does a, gets a photocopy made, comes back, gives you the photocopy. And in you go. Now, if you if you think about that guy, I don't know what the margin is on that five rand. Maybe the margin's a hundred percent. But he would be sitting there, and he would be making money that I'm prepared to pay him. That he would then, at some point in time, spend in some formal or some something which is within the tax net. So he'll be paying his contribution to uh, to the fiscus and hence to infrastructure and so on. So those are. Uh, um, those are my, um, my, my thoughts on, on how this whole thing, but I, I mean, who knows? It's so complex and there's so many interlocking parts, uh, and society is changing so dramatically that 
if you give people, if you unlock human potential and you allow human ingenuity to, to find an outlet, eventually that will give you a much more sustainable and, and I think more prosperous economy. That's the way my, work, my head works anyway. that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available in biznews.com in the premium section. And remember, you can sign up for premium just £5 a month, and that will give you full access to our great premium content and full digital access to the Wall Street Journal.